I saw walking down the street He jumped down and knocked her off her feet And then I knew It was the end of her Welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Eric Landstrom, and we are live from the American uh, headquarters of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago universe. Uh, I am here uh, with our friend, our good old friend, Mr. Chris Lacey, to cover October uh, 2002. And of course, our focus is, as it always is these days, on the World Wrestling Entertainment Federation. Uh, Mr. Lacey, uh, we have uh, decided this month that there's uh, there's a lot of things happening. There's some news here and there. Billy Gunn's injured, Nicole Bass lawsuit. Uh, wrestling is uh, generally uh, becoming once again frowned upon in the news. There's clearly a, the wrestling, the talk of the wrestling bubble bursting uh, is hot and heavy, but we've known all that for months. And so instead, I'll just throw it to you, Mr. Lacey, for a, a hey, hello, how are you? And uh, some information that uh, is, is going to be helpful to one of our companions before we jump right into No Mercy. Good afternoon, Eric. It is wonderful to finally get back with you. It's been a while since I've been on a show with you. And uh, yes, I'm here in Blighty, as always. Um, so before we get into the wrestling, unfortunately for you, you can't take heed of this wonderful offer that I'm about to give our listeners because it is a UK only based one. But I do know you do love a nice beer. I do know you love a nice craft beer. Fully endorse. And I know that people out there listening also like good craft beer. And what better is discounted by a beer. We have a very special offer for a 10% discount um, from a good friend of mine, 10 Beer Bowls. Um, which their website is 10beerbottles.co.uk. And if you use the promo code WRESTLING20, you get yourself 10% off on your order. Um, There are some T's and C's, which will be all down in the description. Um, And if you order more than 45 quid's worth, the delivery's free as well. So get your beer in in time for Christmas, help a small independent shop, and, you know, support your podcast friends, because they'll then know how many people listen to it love beer and at the moment i am drinking a lucky saint german pilsner which i got from 10 beer bottles and it is going down bloody lovely and i can't think of i can't even contemplate uh, watching a triple h desiccate a corpse sober so uh use our code uh and get yourself uh 10 off and uh lube yourself up for whatever um 
questionable decision making is is going on on screen in the World Wrestling Federation Entertainment these yeah, days. It, it definitely makes it uh, much more bearable. Unfortunately, uh, we are recording uh, at about noon time my time, and so I am drinking coffee. But I am jealous of your beer, and I'll be there very shortly. Um, at, as we talked about, uh, not a lot of not a lot of great news. But uh, what I will say is uh, a pretty remarkable uh, show, all things considered, uh, for what we've been subjected to for most of the year, in my opinion. And we're going to get right to it because uh, we've got a lot to talk about, uh, and most of it centers on and around and after this show. So let's get to it. It's the WWE No Mercy, October 20th, 2002, from North Little Rock, Arkansas. And as Jerry Lawler pointed out to us, uh, everything in Arkansas is 20 years behind. So, uh, Lacey, let's uh, enjoy 1982 in Arkansas here while we uh, open up with Undertaker and Kane lamenting their weeks. And we get a package covering the main event scene, and that brings us to King and JR. Before we go any further, I jumped ahead a little bit, but just a couple of opening thoughts on this uh, show before we uh, dive in. And uh, naturally, I didn't ask you if you have the results up, but you're an old pro, and so I imagine you do. And if you'll give those us to, uh, if you'll give those to us as well, please. Okay. So on Heat, which is a match I'd prefer to see, the Hurricane defeated Stephen Richards. And then on the first match of the pay-per-view, the tag team champions Jericho and Christian defeated Booker T and Goldust. Tori Wilson defeated Dawn Marie. RVD defeated Flair. Jamie Noble defended his cruiserweight title against Yoshihira Tajiri, because I'll use his real name. Triple H defeated Kane to unify the WWF Intercontinental Champion and the newly formed World Heavyweight Championship. In the inaugural WWE Tag Team Champions, um, which is the SmackDown-only tag titles, uh, we saw Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle defeat Rey Mysterio and Edge. Trish Stratus defeated Victoria in the Women's Championship match. And in the main event for the WWE Championship in a Hell in a Cell, Brock Lesnar defeated The Undertaker. I'll do the show until I'm gray uh, and dead in the ground and forget to ask for the results uh, before we get into the show. <laughs> so thanks for being ready for that, my friend. Um, I kind of gave my thoughts on the show. I thought the first uh, hour and a half was exceptionally tolerable. I thought the second hour and a half of this show, uh, particularly uh, three out of the four last matches, uh, some of the storyline considerations aside, uh, this is one of the better shows that I can remember watching. Your thoughts? Um, decent show. Um, when it's good, it's very, very good. When it's bad, it's one of those of where I'm hoping I'm not drinking something very strong because I'll fall asleep. That's true. And, and as, as typical, our critical view, our critical review uh, may change our opinion. So let's see what happens. Uh, as I said, uh, JR and King welcome us. And we see uh, Chris Jericho and Christian, who are one of the two tag team uh, champions after tonight. Uh, or coming into tonight, they're the only tag team champions, and we're just going to say tag titles because it's too much to keep track of. 
um, versus Booker and Goldust. So it's Jericho and Christian versus Booker and Goldust for uh, one of the tag team titles. Booker starts and sends Jericho escaping to the floor, tagged to Goldust, who runs wild with clotheslines and hip attacks. And this is a really kind of fast paced back and forth match. They don't, there's not a lot of holds. There's not a lot of, um, you know, slow down. This is, they've got eight, nine minutes and they make the most of it, I think. Uh, you know, so we go back and forth with Christian and Goldust getting the advantage back and forth. Uh, the faces take over, double clothesline from Booker, Shattered Dreams attempt followed by a roll up on Jericho for a two. Of course, that's Goldust. Jericho grabs the walls on Goldust, but it's not to last as Booker breaks it up. We can see the spinner Rooney and then Booker avoids a belt shot from Christian. And then Fate says, fuck your finish as the second rope snaps under Jericho as he goes for a springboard. Uh, to his credit, Jericho recovers. They all kind of recover. Jericho dumps out Booker. Goldust gets a bulldog on Chris, but only a two, uh, thanks to Christian, who breaks it up. Jericho then gets a bulldog of his own. Uh, I believe it was onto the title belt. And then he hits an improvised moonsault off the top rope, uh, and he gets a three. So Chris Jericho pins Goldust, and the heels retain the tag team championships in 846. Uh, Lacey, this is the opening match, and we've got a long road to hoe ahead of us. So I'll just say that I was impressed with this match. I was particularly impressed after the rope broke, and uh, you know clearly there was some improvisation going on. But I think this was a, a really entertaining uh, opening match. And on most any other WWF card, uh, not featuring the Dudleys or the Hardys in the last 20 years, this would have been the best tag match on the card by a mile. Yeah, no, it is a decent, decent opener. Um, the rope break came at the worst point because you know that was going to be the finish of the match. Um, mm -hmm. Clearly, he was about to hit the line salt and get the win. And, you know, I know we slate him quite a bit, but well done, Jericho, for basically thinking, right, actually, how we're redoing this on the fly. And yeah, uh, working with without seeing the middle rope there was quite fun um, and just shows you that this, you know, is real and shit can happen. Um, but yeah, no, a decent, decent opener. Um, Booker and Goldust. I love their backstage stuff, but it still seems really weird having them tagged together in the ring. Um, but they somehow work. Um, I think Christian definitely is still the provincial, always going to be a tag guy because uh, as soon as Edge and Christian broke up, he had his small run as a single and then was chucked back in with the Un-Americans and now with, with Jericho. So uh, tag team for life for Christian. Uh, but yeah, decent, as I said, decent starts to the show and yeah, it's what you want. You want to get it opened up and with some entertainment. I, I am completely fine with Chris Jericho in this spot. I have no issues with him in this spot. I have massive issues with him main eventing major shows over Hulk Hogan and the Rock. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But this is this is probably a little bit below where he belongs on the card. But because of that, because he's in there with Christian and Goldust and unfortunately Booker, who's been a little bit devalued, he can stand out, and, and he does. And so I think this is a, a, a decent spot for him. I think his fans would probably say uh, he probably should at least be in the upper mid, but he's tag champ. You know, he's opening the mat, uh, opening this big card. Good match. And, you know, obviously this is just a parking spot for him uh, as they uh, kind of sort out where they're going now with the brand split. No issues at all with this. In the back, uh, SmackDown's number one announcer, Funaki, interviews Al Wilson 
who says in an exceptionally timely uh, manner, three years too late, that he did not have sexual relations with Don Marie. <laughs> and we're in Arkansas after all. Um, I don't know why I would deny it, Al. Everybody believes it. Just run with it, man. It's Don Marie. You're old as shit. It's fine. Anyway, we go to Cole and Taz for the next match. And uh, it's Don Marie versus Tori Wilson. And it was a match that happened in just about five minutes. Tori won with a neckbreaker. The highlight was a comedy spot where the referee got caught in a Don and Tori tumbleweed. And that's, I think, all we need to dedicate to this one, my friend. Anything to add? Yeah, this was rough. Um, and not helped by Taz doing King-style commentary. I expect better from Taz. He He's supposed to be this shoot fighter with this intrinsic knowledge of how to tie people up and, and how the holds actually work and how they hurt. And, yeah, instead we get... Uh, and, and this just, this match, this match was not the only thing. Right. And it, it seems to go throughout the night. And, I, I, you know, part of that's got to be Vince producing, right? Come on, Taz, you know, lighten up, pal, that kind of thing. But, you know, yeah. I, I can't think of a less qualified announcer than Taz to call this match. But, you know, what do we always say? At least it was short. And it had Don Marie and Tori Wilson. So we've, we've wasted time in worse ways. Yep. In the back, our boy... RVD, Mox, Ric Flair. Then we see Lesnar, Heyman, and Tracy, who we should probably talk about. So let's do that in a second. Uh, who has accused, yeah, Tracy, she's accused uh, Big Red of adultery, and they walk by coach. Heyman and Lesnar refuse comment. Tracy says she's here to expose The Undertaker. Uh, Lacey, let's just take a little detour here. Uh, I'll, I'll probably run the package uh, later for the match, but... Uh, Tracy effectively uh, is a, a woman who has uh, been brought in and is accusing the Undertaker of having an affair, uh, while uh, his wife Sarah, who we all know, uh, is at home pregnant. And um, apparently, feuding over the world title isn't enough anymore. Um, right. So just you know, but uh, you know, your thoughts on this uh, whole Tracy deal, uh, working alongside uh, Lesnar and Undertaker, having this blood feud for the world title. Yeah, I don't know what the what the exact uh, one in the States would be, but over here we have Coronation Street and EastEnders. Um, I suppose over there you have Days of Our Lives, I believe, is is one of your big soap operas. Yeah. Um, As the World Turns, 90210. Yep. Yeah. It's like some idiot has been off watching that shit for far too long gone. People watch this shit because of this. Let's do this in wrestling. No. And the other thing that really annoyed me with this was her calling Taker Mark. We'll get there. Hold it. Save it. We'll get there. Okay. We'll, we'll bring that up later. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's so it's so bad. And here's the thing that with all of this stuff, we say wrestling is the male soap opera. But that doesn't mean that we want wrestling to be a literal soap opera. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I'm i with you. But you and I are old school, man. You know, you and I are throwing some 84 Mid-South and and enjoy it. You know, this this, yeah. this certainly isn't for us. But my question is, then who's it for? Uh, anyway. This, this is the thing. It's like, um, just to sort of 
on a tangent um obviously recently we had the whole tajiri noble which we'll go into in a bit when they have their match but there right. was the whole are they having a freeway with nidia and is you know <laughs> nidia letting tajiri have a go that fits a little bit more in wrestling because it revolves around wrestlers and they're, they're together and they're in a match and angle and all together and you know and you know we go back to ecw and kimono on and tommy being hardcore and saying that he can take both of them now these sort of things have been there before but done much more better in a way that fits with wrestling this shit is literally out of a fucking soap op like a tv soap daytime soap and doesn't fit who they're putting it in with in any way shape or form you've got the undertaker who yes at the minute is a big bad biker but he is undead corpse zombie into a biker and then you've got brock lesnar who is a fucking animal and will destroy things and just wants to hunt and kill why do it just isn't needed yeah, like badass zombie biker versus apex predator used to be enough. Um, yep. I, I'm just looking at my outline here for this show, and so we get out of the first match, and so Funaki interviews Al Wilson about fucking, and then yep. there's a match between Don Marie and Tori Wilson, which is because of Al Wilson fucking. And then there's a little bit of a break with RVD, and then we get right back to Lesnar, Heyman, and Tracy, which is another storyline about fucking. So, and horny then to Jerry Noble, and then to Jerry Noble later on. Like horny Vince is all over this show, man. It's it's like it's a little bit easier to overlook when you're watching the weekly shows because you get a couple hours here, a couple hours there, and it's interspersed. But when these are the top storylines and they're all crammed into a two and a half hour show, it's so obvious like how horny the WWE is right now. This is uh, it's pretty incredible. Yep. Well, uh, <laughs> perhaps uh, not a coincidence. It's Ric Flair. Talking about a horny asshole. <laughs> and he's going to take on uh, RVD uh, in a match that I've written here is uh, – before tonight, sponsored by Tylenol PM Fever Dreams, um, because this is one of those, you know, pull your two random Hasbros out of your bin and, you know, put them against each other. This is um, when you're on the PlayStation, both people press random. Yeah, right, right. Um, but, uh, and I, you know, I, I saw this match get a little bit of flack. And, you know, Rick, these matches players having against the young guys, he had a match against Jericho, which I liked a lot more than many others. Um, and he's been in and out. Uh, and, you know, clearly everybody he wrestles is going to be younger than him because he's 53 years old. But um, I thought this match was was pretty good. But let's get into it. Um, RVD starts and he follows Flair to the floor, uh, wails on him with punches and a spin kick. Uh, we go back in the ring. Uh, RVD gets a two count after a kick and a standing moonsault. At some point here, the bell rings. Um, Flair tries to go over and out uh, in the corner. But he's 53 years old and his body says no thanks. So he just flops back to the canvas. It's fine. RVD works over Rick with punches, an elbow, and another kick, picks up a two. Flair uh, goes low, the savvy old trickster that he is, and attacks with punches and a choke. 
belly to back suplex and, and we've hit the figure four uh about halfway through the match short match too rvd turns it over which leads to a rope break rvd misses a drop kick and flair gloats uh, this is Rick's perpetual downfall as he scales the buckle, only to get caught and slammed to the canvas. RVD follows that with Rolling Thunder, a spin kick, picks up a two count in there somewhere, but it's the five-star frog splash uh, that nets RVD the three count at about the eight-minute mark. I've noted that uh, Rick Flair's shoulder was about a foot off the canvas during the count, but wrestling's fake, so it doesn't matter. Um, I thought... <laughs> I saw this match get some flack. RVD, I think we talked a couple of months ago uh, about his problems with selling. And clearly, you know, there's a conceit with Rob Van Dam that if he's going to be RVD, then we kind of have to look the other way because he can't just sell the knee for 10 minutes and do all of his cool shit, which is why everybody likes him. Um, And so I saw some criticism here, uh, but at least I think this was the right outcome. And I think that Ric Flair, for a 53-year-old dude who's clearly past his prime, uh, did a yeoman's job hanging with RBD here. What are your thoughts here? So this, I thought this was decent. Um, surprised with how fucking different they are. It didn't feel massively disjointed. Um, you know, Flair did Flair shit. RVD did RVD shit. But there was some meeting in the middle where they did each other's stuff a bit and it fit with what they were doing. Yeah, you're right. RVD's not going to sell like fucking Flair used to or Steamboat used to in, back in the day in the 80s. But that's not him. And the thing is, you can't sell a, a knee, then do a rolling thunder and the five-star and the Van, Dam- Van Damnator and things like that if you've got a bum knee. So he how his character is he can't do that sort of selling but as i said i was surprised this worked and i'm all good for flair now being an underboss as he is to trips that as something we'll go on about when we get to the title best title match if there's not going to be secondary belts in this on this show you need something as a heater if they're going to move on to the champion and flair is a good heater he is this is a really interesting spot in flair's career uh he's kind of one of these the matches that he's having it's almost as if he's he wants to still prove that he can go with these with these younger guys or he can you know, work these different styles. This is a super deep cut, but I'm going to go with it. So in the early 90s, kind of after Rush had hit its like commercial zenith and was obviously still, you know, very popular, but, you know, just kind of doing whatever they want because they'd made enough money to last them the rest of their lives. Uh, their drummer, Neil Peart, uh, basically decided to uh, uh, scale, the, uh, go across the globe to learn how to be a drummer. And the thing was like, his whole deal was like, I'm clearly an expert in this, but I can get better and I can work with different people and I can learn new techniques and I can show that even though I'm the best or one of the best, you can still improve. And so he goes and works with Freddie Gruber. He goes and works with Buddy Rich. He goes to Africa and sits in these random drum circles in these 
villages, right? And then he brings it all back and puts it into Rush tunes, and they and it's cool stuff. And here you kind of see a similar thing with Ric Flair, where it's like he doesn't have to do any of this, but you can still see him like learning how to work with these younger guys like Jericho and especially RVD, and it's kind of cool. Like the he doesn't have to do this, or at least I hope he doesn't. But I'm fine with Ric Flair working with these guys and having good matches because he's still, you know, he's he's still the goat. The and uh, it's it's fun to see him in, in spots like this. So I just wanted to give Flair some props here because he has been criticized a little bit, and I think that criticism is is very misplaced. Yeah, as I said, this with what he's doing now does remind me of what funk was doing in the 90s in ecw and what yeah wahoo and people like that were doing in the 80s in nwa being that old dog that's still hanging with the kids but just you just know that them being there is teaching the magnum ta and teaching the barry windham or in when funk was in ecw is teaching rvd and taz and raven these these bits of knowledge that they wouldn't get without someone who's been there done that and got that experience if you watch the show live and you're uh somewhere uh closer to chris lacy's neck of the woods and what do you say lacy this would have aired about 1 a.m your time Oh no, because of changing clocks, it was an earlier one this year. We, we man, it was at twelve o'clock. So by this point, we're about forty-five minutes in the show. So if twelve uh, forty-five in the morning on October twenty-one, uh, and you heard some faint wailing uh, from um, uh, that sounded much like our friend Chris White, uh, that's because he was reacting to this next segment, which is the big show, lamenting the fact that. He still sucks and hasn't been featured for a while. Um, Big Show doesn't like, or Bischoff doesn't like Big Show talking to Stephanie and calls Big Show his property. The Big Show colors Bischoff and says he'll hurt Eric if he's not featured. And our uh, friend Chris White's uh, or uh, nightmare continues uh, later on uh, when we see the Big Show will indeed be thrust into the main event scene. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Sorry, Chris. Yeah, let's not upset him too much yet. It's it's going to be a rough go for him, I think. And I, I he's a super nice guy, and I just really want the best for him. Uh, we, then we cut to a nice package uh, that runs through the lineage of the uh, soon-to-be uh, iced-out Intercontinental title. Uh, a really good WWF video package here, uh, making us all nostalgic for a belt that they're about to kill and put on the shelf for really no good reason whatsoever. But here we are. So we go, and it's uh, Jamie Noble out with Nidia. He's the cruiserweight champion, and he's going to defend against uh, Yoshihiro Tajiri. Uh, This match opens super hot uh, with uh, a springboard moonsault from Tajiri. The guys go back and forth, uh, really fast-paced, hard-hitting action. Uh, Noble hits an electric chair drop and a spinning backbreaker. Noble sets up Tajiri on the buckle, but Tajiri elbows. He then misses a moonsault, but lands on his feet and then hits a tornado DDT off the rope for a two. These guys have something working here. Tajiri uh, hits his patented kicks, a handspring elbow, a series of Germans, and that tarantula for five seconds. Tajiri then takes off Noble's head with a kick, but there's that tricky Nidia slobbering all over Brian Hebner. 
This allows Noble to get a Tiger Bomb, but only for a two. In all this ruckus, Nydia then grabs Tajiri's leg, and that allows Noble to smother up Tajiri for the three in eight minutes and 15 seconds. After the match, uh, Tajiri kissed Nydia, knocked out Jamie while he and Nydia were... This is just an ugly, an ugly, ugly scene in the ring. Uh, but the point is Tajiri kisses Nydia, knocks out Jamie, uh, and the crowd is delighted uh, despite uh, Tajiri's loss. Uh, let's hear your thoughts on this one. My boy is amazing, and Jamie Noble is also becoming boy status. He's I fucking good. love these two. Yeah. And and put these two in the ring together, I'm going to watch it. Because, you know, I know back in the WCW days, you'd think the cruiserweights, and you're thinking of your hoovies and your, your high flyers, and, you know, Ray Ray and stuff like that. But this shows that Dean Malenko level cruiserweight and things like that where you've got two guys that can fucking wrestle putting on an absolute clinic that both have very, very unique styles but work so well together. And oh, it's, it's just beautiful. And I like the fact of the, the valet, the heel valet with Nidia. <laughs> doing healy shit like Cornette would have done in the old days or like Heyman used to do in the Dangerous Alliance. The manager having a purpose and it being to distract the referee or give the assistance to their guy. Yes, I'm all for it. More of this, please. Uh, I'm very impressed. You know, we've been on to Jerry's case for a long time. Uh, Noble, I mean, his presentation is just, it's so WWE that it's its easy to overlook his ability. But this guy is a machine in the ring. Uh, he's hes super good. And, you know, Nydia, we covered her on Tough Enough. And I got to say, like, I, I didn't know where that was going to go. And obviously, she's not Mildred Burke, but she knows her spot and she knows her role in the ring. And she does it pretty well. And so to the extent that she can be out there and, you know, be the hype man for Jamie Noble and, you know, get heat on him and take heat off him as, as necessary, that is the exact purpose of what she's supposed to be doing for him. And I think it works. I, I do think that, as we mentioned a couple minutes ago, we have a, a few too many uh, storylines going about uh, who's trying to get who in the sack and that sort of thing. But I don't know. This isn't the one I would probably get rid of. Uh, I think this is this is pretty good. And, you know, to Jerry in the WWF, you have to have personality and they're trying to give him some and he's done a pretty good job with it. And so this isn't necessarily the one that the storyline that I would get rid of if I was trying to, you know, clean it up a little bit. But it yeah. does unfortunately get caught in that in that wave of the undertaker and of uh everybody else who's in al wilson and everybody else who has a as we called it earlier a fucking storyline yeah the thing is though with tajiri i'm you know when he first went to the fed it was like oh he's with regal awesome he's gonna be in safe hands with regal as soon as obviously he left regal i had horrible thoughts of vince going full orient express he's a far he's an asian foreigner 
just be evil because he's foreign. But yeah. whoever's looking after that cruiserweight division, because I'm going to imagine it's not Vince writing for that. He's probably got his oar in for the fucky fucky storylines, but he's probably not all over it. That they're they're letting him be. Yes, he's foreign and he doesn't do the English bits, but he is a character. He has comedy timing and comedy chops, and they're letting him do that and not just going generic foreign heel number seventy eight which is yeah. what my fear was. Well, they've got Funaki now. So, uh, to is spared. It, it is funny. It is funny. I, I, I'm not, it's like not great, but it's, it's funny. He does a good job, Funaki. So we get a video, a video package uh, for the next match. And I think we should probably just listen to that instead of having to try to explain whatever is going on with Kane and Triple H. So listen to that now. For the first time in my life, I'm happy. It is Kane! It is Kane! It's here! Oh my God! The Midwest Machine is back! Kane is back! Kane is strong! Freaks are cool! Now that you've heard that title yeah. unification is not enough. Oh, Lacey, jump in, jump in. Because this it's, is just, we're, we're never going to cover it. We're never going to be able to cover this again. So we might as well cover it how we want to. 
Yeah, so first things first, I'm I'm gonna go big overview here. So you've got two shows with separate rosters and you're getting rid of all of the belts to have one belt that rules them all, like the one ring that rules them all, makes fuck all sense to me. I I get get rid of the hardcore, get rid of the European and have two belts. Makes sense. Yeah. But there should absolutely be an intercontinental on one show and a US on the other. And probably like TV one title world, or and, something like that. Yeah. And but, one world title, right? Like yeah. I don't know. We can talk about that later. But this whole one ring to rule them all that Bischoff is doing and the person that has the ring of power is trips just ugh. And that's before we get to the weird fucked up storyline of Kane being a murderer. Well, we already knew he was a murderer, though. But now he's a rapey murderer. So he's killed more than just his parents by burning the the funeral home down. He's now a rapey murderer who crashed a car, went drunk, went first wrestling, and diddled the corpse yeah that's right yeah wrestling i think if there's anything we can all agree on and wrestling is clearly subjective that's what makes it great i think we can all agree that the word semen never needs to be uttered on a wrestling show yeah if if you want to put if you want to push back on that if anybody out there wants to push back on that, reach out, because I'd be very curious. Yeah. Um, as I say, thankfully, I wasn't watching this with with the better half. Something we'll go on about later. Unfortunately, the other half walked in from home from work when it was when I was watching it. But that's for a bit later. Well, unfortunately, uh, I do have us slotted to talk about this uh, Katie Vick issue later on in some detail because boy this isn't the end of it not by a long shot Uh, but for now let's just focus on the title unification so it's Kane with his intercontinental title versus Triple H with his uh, gifted world title and so we start in Kane decks uh, Triple H with uh, punches and a back body drop uh, clotheslines power slam uh, we go out to the floor. I think every match tonight, except for Don Marie, Tori Wilson's out to the floor. Uh, Triple H hits a neck breaker. A couple more neck breakers. Gets a two. Spine buster for a two. Uh, Triple H locks in a sleeper hold. Uh, Kane counters out with a belly to back. Uh, Kane goes for that running elbow. Hunter moves uh, and hits Kane. And Kane hits a boot to the face. Um, at this point, uh, we should point out that not just in this match, but for much of the night, Jerry Lawler uh, was repeatedly calling uh, Kane a murderer, bringing up uh, this thing. And at this juncture, JR basically has completely lost it with uh, King, and he explodes and says, uh, stop talking about that. But it's Lawler, so he doesn't. Uh, Kane uh, in the corner, clothesline, sidewalk slam, top rope, clothesline, going through the motions. And then here's that tricky Rick Flair. He shoves the referee down. He uh, guillotines Kane on the top rope. And now that Ric Flair is bringing in the world title to the ring. 
uh, Kane uh, punches Flair, uh, but Triple H is there to hit Kane with the world title, but he only gets a two. And here's the Hurricane, uh, who is involved with this. Uh, he and Kane have become fast friends and, and tag partners, uh, and he's here to help Kane. He punches Ric Flair, Flair over the barricade into the crowd, um, and unfortunately, our poor friend, the Hurricane, uh, gets met with a pedigree on the floor. Kane is back up, a couple of clotheslines, punch, uppercut, power slam for two. Um, back in the ring, uh, Triple H avoids uh, a big boot, and uh, that lands square in the jaw of Earl Hebner, who hits the canvas. Uh, we're out of the ring again, and Kane puts Triple H through the announcer's table with a choke slam. Uh, he then beats up Ric Flair. Uh, Kane goes for a pin, no referee. Kane blocks Ric Flair from a sledgehammer shot. Uh, but then Hunter, uh, it, here, oh, here we go. And then here's Triple H. Sorry there, I got lost in my notes. Here's Triple H, a low blow. Uh, they scuffle. Kane picks up Hunter, and uh, this allows uh, Triple H to nail Kane in the ribs with that sledgehammer. Uh, but that's not the end. Uh, choke slam, no referee. Here's Chad Patton. Uh, comes out to make the count, new referee, but Flair pulls him out as well, and Patton goes down. Uh, Flair to the top rope. Again, that's two and one for the night. Uh, but again, uh, he gets caught and hit with a choke slam. And Triple H is there with a shoulder tackle and a pedigree connects. And Earl Hebner wakes up from his 10-minute nap and gets the slow one the slow two and the slow three to give triple h the win at 16 13 in a match that had a lot going on if you couldn't tell by my notes uh lacy your thoughts on this one i was brought back to two years ago when we were in the hunter as world champion and every main event being exactly the same going i've seen all this before but instead of DX being the ones doing the interference, it's now Flair doing the interference for him. Um, the only thing this didn't have that the that the Attitude Era uh, title matches had was it didn't go in the crowd. But it's just one of those. I didn't like them back then. I still don't like them. I don't like these dull type of main event matches that the Fed has a big thing of doing. Um, you know, we said it back then. It was like the undercard's great. Main event's a bit dull. Whereas WCW, the undercard's great. Main event's dull as well. It's just rinse and repeat of the same shit. And the thing is, Kane should have been all over him trying to fucking rip his face off. Yeah. Of what he's come out with. And there was none of that. It was a wrestling match. This is meant to be a blood feud. You know, you've come out with these revelations. You want to kill this fucker. There's no urgency. There's no anything. And it's just massively interference heavy. And I'm just like, yeah. uh, uh, I've seen this all before. Yeah, they had the same match they've probably had on Raw 20 times over the last five years. Um, for the first, I would say, 10 minutes of it. Pretty straightforward stuff back and forth. And then, yeah, when Ric Flair came out, it just became an overbooked clusterfuck. I mean, ref shots, belt, hurricane, more Flair, more belt, table, Hebner up, Hebner down, Patton up, Patton down. 
and then Triple H wins. It's like, yeah, I've I've seen this before, but I have to take notes this time. <laughs> it it was a fine match, but it's a match that we've seen before. In the back with Stephanie, we see Tracy again. And here she admits making up the lie that she slept with Mark recently and pins Paul Heyman behind it. And Tracy leaves. And that's it. Tracy admits that she has slept with Mark, but not anytime soon. You were going to jump in on this earlier. So uh, why don't you jump in on it now? So we have a character in The Undertaker. Obviously, you know, we're not stupid. We all know that his real name, you know, his God-given Christian name is not The Undertaker. It's a stage name. But for someone that protects kayfabe in the way that they're meant to, um, you know, like back in the old days, you know, yes, there's been a bit of a change in that with bringing Sarah in and the DDP shit and the invasion. And, you know, he's a real man. He has a, a wife. But we never, you, you don't need to know how the sausage is made. He he is the Undertaker. That's his name. Why are we referring to him by his real name? You know, you know, some of us that are old enough remember mean Mark Callis. And, you know, we know that they're not that clever that they're referring back to his old wrestling character in WCW when he was with Heyman because, you know, that never happened. But uh, this this just, oh, it just grates on me. There's just no need for it. And it's one of those things where it, if you're not in like us, it takes you out of it so much. Because then you're like, what did, what did she say? What did she call the Undertaker? And if you're a big wrestling nerd like us and we know what they're doing, it's equally distracting because it still takes you out of it and it's it's super cringeworthy i mean the whole thing is cringeworthy so i don't know i mean this is you know we're kind of criticizing cringe within cringe this is cringe inception here but you know it is it is just demonstrative of how kind of desperate this whole storyline became and then they just drop it i mean she just says yep uh, i lied uh Heyman did it i'm out of here see ya it's like do they get they must have gotten to the show and not known how they're going to blow this off and they just said we'll just end it quietly i i can't i can't fathom it yeah you you could have quite easily just not even brought it up not right. even had or, it there or not even done it well there's that option. that would that would have been the best option but they'd already you know put their shit on the floor at this point the easiest way to tidy it up is just push it away and, you know, no one thinks about it and it's gone. You know, you don't have to make a big song and dance about the fact that you've taken the rubbish out. You can just do it quietly. Uh, things that are not quiet are this next match. Uh, and things that will not be short will be in my match review for this next match. And I apologize ahead of time. Bear with me. My notes are like three pages long. I'll do my best. It's deserved. It is and I guess I think I missed it earlier, but earlier in the night, yeah, I overlooked it on my notes. Earlier in the night, there was a backstage uh, segment where uh, Kurt, effectively Kurt Angle had attacked Chavo Guerrero 
and uh, there's massive dissension between Guerrero, Benoit, Angle, obviously, and Chavo's in the mix, too. Uh, and that's the setup uh, for Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle versus Rey Mysterio and Edge for the other tag team titles. Uh, we start with Angle wrestling Ray, waistlock takedown, and does the head slapping uh, gimmick. He tosses him around. Uh, Ray stubbornly wants to go toe to toe with Angle, um, and Angle continues to toy with him, but Ray eventually uh, gets the advantage with a boot to the face, a head scissors, and a drop toe hold, and he slaps Angle as uh, Angle's head as uh, as a callback to that. And now here we see Edge, and he and Angle uh, do some wrestling. Angle hits a shoulder tackle. Uh, Edge with some arm drags. Benoit comes in and wrestles and wrestles and wrestles. Uh, and he, he and Edge go at it for uh, quite some time. Uh, Edge hits a gut buster. Edge hits a backbreaker. Flapjack. Uh, Angle back in, and he gets a cheap shot to Edge. Um, and then there's one of a thousand amazing spots during this match where Edge hits Angle with a spear uh, on the turnbuckle. Um, this match just keeps going, everyone. Uh, Benoit with a neck breaker, Angle back in, kick to the ribs. Uh, Angle hits a knee to Edge. Uh, there's a long, you know, a 30-second hold in this match feels forever. Um Eventually, we see Benoit working over Edge, uh, punches, kicks, corner whip, uh, and Edge does the uh, stern. The it must be a Canadian guy thing. He takes the Bret Hart corner bump. That's the best way I can describe it. And we get Benoit in uh, on Edge with uh, just an absolute beat down. Three Germans. Benoit goes to the top, uh, and Edge then hits Benoit with a superplex off the top rope, and that's the first seven minutes of this match. Uh, Ray is in now, and he gets a uh, head scissors to Benoit, drop toll hold, corner drop kick. Uh, he sends Angle out of the ring, springboard drop kick on Benoit. Uh, Edge then clotheslines Angle out of the ring. Benoit hits a bulldog. He tosses Ray to the mat, and Benoit locks in the cross face on Edge, or on uh, Ray, and Edge breaks that up. Ray goes for a 619. Benoit catches him and Edge hits a missile drop kick. Uh, two uh, gets a two on Benoit. Ray goes up. Uh, Angle jumps up with a belly to belly. Angle punches Edge off the apron and covers for a two. As I turn the page. Uh, and we slow things down a little bit here. Angle locks in a front uh, face lock. Uh, crowd is simmering big time here. I mean, they've got them in the palm of their hands. Um, eventually, Benoit breaks it up. Belly to belly suplex for a two. Uh, Mysterio back in, sends Benoit to the turnbuckle. Edge back in, clotheslines uh, to angle. Clotheslines to Benoit. Suplex to angle. Face plant to Benoit. Um, Edge is on fire here. Neck breaker to angle. Benoit breaks it up. Edge then with a shoulder tackle on, on Benoit. Um, Edge gets a shoulder tackle angle. Uh, Ray charges. Edge launches him, and Ray hits a top rope hurricane rana on angle. At some point in here, Ray also busted out the Bronco Buster. Um, they just did everything here. Uh, we move up, and now we're going to go home. Angle Germans on Edge. Uh, Ray hits a somersault kick on angle. Benoit back in with the crippler crossface on Benoit. Um, 619 again. Um, Edge fights out of an ankle lock with a 
inside cradle for a two. Um, Angle goes for a clothesline, edge ducks, and hits a spear. Edge covers, but Benoit breaks it up at 2.9. Ray follows that with a baseball slide to knock out Benoit. Um, here, uh, Edge takes out uh, Ray, uh, or I'm sorry, Benoit takes out, uh, Ray takes out Benoit on the floor with the assistance of Edge. And now it's Edge and Angle in the ring. Edge goes for the execution. Angle uh, slips out, grabs the ankle lock. Edge counters into an ankle lock of his own. Angle then reverses back into an ankle lock. Edge is near the ropes, but he can't fight it. The crowd is on on its feet. Everybody's going crazy, and Edge taps out at 22.03 in about the busiest fucking match that I've ever called on this show. Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit are your new uh, tag team uh, champions featured on the SmackDown show in 22.03. Lacey. Have yourself a well-deserved beverage break at this point, sir. I don't know if any of that made sense. This match was just a tornado going through your house at a million miles an hour. This is... This is now the the big thing for me for this year is going to be whether this or uh, the uh, real main event of Mania is the match of the year because fuck me... This is what I want to see in tag team wrestling. This not as uh, is more phonetic than the greats of the Midnight Express Rock and Roll Express matches from the from the eighties. For four guys that aren't true tag team wrestlers full time, they put on a fucking clinic. You've got. Angle and Benoit doing Angle and Benoit stuff and proving how great they are as in-ring wrestlers. Um, You've got Edge doing Edge stuff and proving that he actually can hang with guys of this level. And Ray, some of the shit that Ray was doing this, I have never seen someone do before. The bit where Edge basically hops him up to then do the super hurricane rana yeah beautiful there was uh the bit where he backdrops him over to then do the heel kick beautiful use of your teammate and as you say it was frenetic it it was 22 minutes but it did not feel like a long 22 minute match this flies by and especially when you compare it to the trips and cane match which was only 16 minutes but felt like 45, this is arguably going to be, if this isn't in the top three matches of the year conversation when we get to the end of year awards, I'm, I don't know what the rest of you lot are thinking because fuck me, this, this was beautiful. This is exactly what I want to see. Um, give me all of this all the time. And, yeah, just just yes. I, I just don't know what more you want out of a tag team match than this. I, if you don't like tag tag matches, then I mean nothing's going to change your mind. But yeah, I, I can't contemplate a a better tag match than this uh, that I've maybe ever seen. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure 
psychology and heat and stuff have been different, but I mean, Engel and Benoit, Mysterio, in their own unique ways, are three of the best in the business, and Edge is really coming along. And these guys, I mean, and it takes more than being great and very good to make something like this happen. This was a secret sauce, you know, special formula type of match, but whatever they did, it hit and it hit really hard. Um, and I just, I, I hate to do this uh, to kind of temper the mood here, but I, I have to like, we talk about Meltzer sometimes on the show and it's fine. Whatever you think about, subjective wrestling reviews and how much credit you want to give somebody else's subjective opinion for how you rate a match. But, you know, he didn't, he didn't give this match five stars. And so I only mentioned that to point out like kind of how we shouldn't rely on subjective ratings to argue about best matches, because if this isn't a five-star tag team match, I, I don't know what is. So that's it. That's all I'm going to say about that little element. This was just an incredible match that uh, one of two matches tonight that broke my brain trying to take match notes and this was just the first of two so that's good um in the back uh, the undertaker uh, takes the needle uh, after insisting that uh, the wwf doctor uh, give him a painkiller and uh, we go to the women's title match next and <laughs> this could have been cora combs in 1955 versus wendy richter in 1985 and this card placement would have given it no chance of success. But it's not Cora versus Wendy. It's uh, Trish versus uh, Victoria. Trish is the women's champion, and she's going up against Victoria. Uh, Victoria takes uh, takes over early with slaps and a headlock takeover, shoulder tackle, and a kick to the head. This is a very kicky match. Uh, Trish with kicks uh, to the head for a two count. Um Trish pulls uh, Victoria uh, shoulder first. Oh, that uh, sorry, my notes got transposed. Uh, Trish uh, pulls Victoria into the shoulder, uh, in by the shoulder into the ring post, um, but Victoria counters uh, and sends Trish into the barricade. So that's another match outside the ring. Uh, back in the ring, uh, Victoria works over Trish. Uh, she goes up top eventually, but Trish catches her, um, and Trish does her headstand move and takes Victoria off for a two. Uh, Victoria recovers with a backbreaker, uh, or with a shoulder breaker, I should say, proper. Uh, Trish fights out of it and, and gets a bridging pin for a two. Uh, and Victoria regains the advantage with a body slam and a sidewalk slam. Uh, she attempts to climb the turnbuckle, but Trish meets her, puts her on her shoulders, and uh, sends her down for an electric chair drop, and that gets a two. Uh, chick, uh, chick kick gets a two. Uh, there's a series of neck breakers followed by a stratisfaction. So Trish hooks up and gets the stratisfaction, uh, but Victoria fights out of it, and Trish uh, gets a roll-up from behind uh, for the uh, quick win at 531. Trish rolls up Victoria to retain the WWF women's title in just about five minutes. Well, this is better than the women's match earlier, uh, but I think that match, this match probably should have been in that slot, and that match should have been nowhere. What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, Dawn and Tori could have just not been there, but I feel sorry for both of these two because yeah. 
Victoria seems really good. Um, I don't know how long she's been about prior coming to the Fed, but she seems really good. Trish is improving, and you see it month on month, pay-per-view on pay-per-view, that Trish is getting it. It's it's coming more natural to Trish. But you, as you say, you could have put fucking... Brett versus Mr. Perfect from fucking SummerSlam 92 on after that tag match and it would have bombed. The crowd was so fucking done after how great that tag match was. This would have been a death spot for anything. So, you know, God bless them for trying. But yeah, this this was destined to fail just because it had to follow what it had to follow, um, which obviously is not in any way, shape or form, their problem or their fault. And they did the best they could. Yes, they only had five minutes. But yeah, the crowd were were burnt out from the last match. And yeah, it said, if this would have been on earlier in the show, if you'd have had this as match two and had exactly the same match, we're going to, I think us and the crowd themselves would be looking at it as much better than what it what, what it was just because of where it was. Yeah, just an absolute travesty to put this match here. Trish is improving. Victoria, I think, is good and also improving in the, you know, she's been around a little while, but uh, she's still relatively new to the scene. And um, I think, you know, these are two of the better uh, women's wrestlers on the roster at this point with Molly Holly and, and maybe a handful of others. And to put them here in this spot is just, I mean, you're not giving them any chance. And maybe that's maybe that's their point. I don't know. Uh, but I, I certainly would not have put this match in this spot if I at all wanted to give the women's title any credence whatsoever. But they did. And so here we are. Uh, we go to the world where it's a big Rikishi and he hypes up the danger of Hell in a Cell. Uh, he picks his uh, Bone Street crew buddy, Mean Mark, to win the match and the title. And we get a nice package on the Brock Undertaker feud, and we may as well play that for you because there is quite a bit going on. Brock Lesnar is still the champion, but the Brock Undertaker issue is only going to get uglier from here. Brock Lesnar with the championship goal to the skull of the Undertaker. Lesnar coming out of nowhere, leveling the dead man. This situation has turned ugly in a hurry. Lesnar from behind again. Here comes the pain. And out from Lesnar to the Undertaker. Oh, my God. It's a propane tank. Lesnar! Propane tank. Off the arm of the Undertaker. The Undertaker's hand is officially broken. (laughs) Oh, no. That's... competing in his rematch against you, Brock, for the WWE title. And I've decided to name the stipulation. Hell in a Cell.
haven't seen this woman in about seven years. No more forgiveness. Years before I ever met my wife, Sarah. No running now. I don't know what she wants. You made it my business. All I know is the last week of my life has been a living hell due to Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman. Let me guarantee you something. The hell that I've been through is nothing. Is nothing compared to the hell that I'm going to put you two through. I won't hold back. Brock Lesnar, the WWE champion, versus his challenger, the Undertaker, in Hell in a Cell for the WWE championship. Uh, Lesnar starts with some wrestling. Taker comes back with some strikes, but Lesnar ultimately uh, takes down Undertaker with a slam for an early two. Uh, this is a uh, striker taker, uh, so uh, lots of punches and kicks and elbows from him. Uh, Lesnar's already out of the ring trying to break out of the cage, uh, but he can't do it. And so instead he works over the Undertaker's broken hand, hopefully numbed with that pain medication. Very early on in this match, uh, after taking some shots from that cast, uh, Brock Lesnar is bleeding. It's going to be one of those matches. Uh, Taker then uh, sends Brock into the steps uh, and he grates his face on the cage. All this results in a two count. Uh, more face raking, uh, more tossing Lesnar into the cell, um, more hitting Lesnar with a cast, um, and the Undertaker is throwing his body at Lesnar uh, to put the beast down for a three count, but he can't, only a two. Um, and here Heyman uh, gets caught in the friendly fire, sort of. Uh, Heyman's there trying to help Lesnar, uh, so instead uh, Taker kicks uh, Heyman, uh, Heyman bumps, uh, Heyman gets bloody. Um, and uh, Heyman continues to take damage, uh, but Lesnar recovers, uh, sends Taker into the cell. Um, we do see the world title belt uh, in the ring, and so, or uh, not the world title, I just said belt. So there's a belt in the ring. You're not supposed to call it a belt, pal. Uh, this is a literal belt, though, so hopefully Vince is okay with that. Um, but anyway, uh, more uh, shots to the broken hand. Uh, and uh, Lesnar then tries to rip the cast off. Uh, Taker fights that off. Um, and there is a lot of uh, cast-to-hand-based offense uh, in this match. Uh, we're back in the ring, and Lesnar does get that dang cast off, um, puts Taker on the top, uh, and he holds on to the top of the cell while standing on the top rope. Dude, I thought he was going to go for a Frankensteiner or something here. I wasn't sure what <laughs> what he was setting up for. I was 
so nervous. I'm like, is Lesnar going to go for a... F-? And then it's like Undertaker's feet are going to hit this. Oh, I was so nervous. But anyway, uh, eventually they defuse it. Uh, Undertaker hits him with a low blow uh, and an uppercut uh, off the top rope with an elbow drop. Uh, decent looking uh, there, uh, but that only results in a two count. Uh, Lesnar recovers for a hangman's neckbreaker off the top rope. Uh, Taker then yeets Lesnar uh, off the apron into the cage. Taker hits a suicide dive onto Lesnar uh, at this point. Taker tries to hit Lesnar with the steps here, but uh, he sells his hand, uh, which allows Lesnar uh, to get the advantage, throw Taker into the cell. Um, And at this point, the Undertaker has joined us uh, in the bleeding party, and his is deep. Uh, A couple of step shots again, and the Undertaker is... uh, quite red, uh, quite crimson. Uh, Ric Flair would be very, very proud. Um, At this point, uh, they're basically just punching one another repeatedly, um, and Taker's selling his hand as he's doing it. Um, Taker then uh, eventually tries old school, but Lesnar uh, pulls him down. Uh, Lesnar picks up uh, Taker. I think he's going for the F5. Taker slips out and a huge choke slam. That should be the end, but no, it's a two count. Lesnar kicks out. Uh, the Undertaker then hits uh, a splash and a charge. Uh, Lesnar gets uh, the foot up, though, um, and uh, teases some sort of powerbomb. Oh, maybe, I bet, it, was it the last ride he was teasing? Something like that. Yeah. Um, but Taker gets him out with a back body drop, um, and eventually uh, Taker hits that uh, nice DDT he does uh, for only a two count. And here the Undertaker signals for a last ride, and I have visions of Brian Pillman uh, in the war games. Um, but Lesnar uh, counters that as well. Undertaker does hit the last ride, uh, surprisingly. Uh, Heyman is beside himself the entire match. And Lesnar doesn't quite kick out, but he slides his hand to the bottom rope uh, to force uh, the count to stop. Undertaker goes for the tombstone, Brock counters. And he gets Taker onto his shoulders and hits the F5 for the one, for the two, and for the three. Brock Lesnar defeats The Undertaker to to retain the WWE title in Hell in the Cell in a lengthy 27-18. Your thoughts? This was beautifully brutal, beautifully violent. You know how we said earlier in the Kane and Triple H one that, you know, this is meant to be a blood feud. They're meant to want to fucking hurt each other. This is what I meant. The, yes, Brock does his wrestling stuff because Brock goes in being the apex predator. I want to throw you around and suplex you. Taker's like, no, I'm a striker. I'm going to make you stand up and eat punches. Yes. Yes, they should. The use of hell in the of the cell was great. The Heyman when he puts the belt around the the cast and holds it on so Brock can batter the shit out of the cast with the chair. Beautiful. Heyman, yeah. Heyman as a whole was great in this. Just the shouting of you you need to kill him. Kill him, Brock, kill him, Brock. And the looks that he's pulling, especially when he's busted open, there's the blood all down his face and he he looks like a fucking psycho. He looks like Hitchcock has gone into his own fucking makeup room for Psycho with the blood pouring down him, and it's brilliant. 
was there a little bit too much blood? I think the taker cut may have gone a little. He may have, even if if that was yeah hard way, fair enough. If he gigged himself a little bit too deep there, pal, because especially the bit when he's outside before he gets in the ring and he's got his head down, it's not dripping. It's fucking pissing blood out of his skull. Do you remember uh, the uh, Brett Bulldog in your house match, December 95, and Brett gigged and did the same thing, and he was just, his his face exploded. It reminded me of that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but, again, what I love about this, especially because what we find out later, um, that Taker is disappearing for a bit, he gives Brock everything and brock kicks out of it all it this brock this year obviously debuted this year he's killed hogan he beat rock and he's taken everything that the taker can give him and survived and thrived this conceptually as as a build for a for a wrestler it just makes lesnar even more of the guy of the year because of what taker give him and what taker let him kick out of this wasn't one of those of where we know that taker can be one of those guys that you know he'll kick out at three 3.1 or you know if he's going to lose, but you, you won't take any of his fit signatures and you can't kick out of the, the big power moves. He let Brock do it. And, oh, this, this just makes Brock. And you look at Brock with blood pissing down him and blood on his chest and you, you just see killer. And that's what we've been missing for a while is that killer in the ring man we'll talk about some of the fallout from this show uh just in a minute or two but this is pretty impressive stuff to the match exceptionally violent uh very bloody uh you know akin to a late 80s war games match but because the television technology is so much better than it was then the blood and the kind of some of the carnage comes across on the television much clearer than it did uh, 10 or 15 years ago. And you're 100% spot on. Like The Undertaker has followed The Rock and has followed Hogan, although Hogan I don't think did it particularly willingly, in putting over Lesnar as like, I mean, the next guy. Like the next, I don't mean to, I don't mean to be, you know, that's what they call him, but it's true. And and this is how you do it. You get a guy who looks like that, who can work like that. You put him with a guy who can talk like Heyman, and then he just beats everyone. And all of a sudden, you've got the next, you know, massive star. And he really is, he's almost like a territorial giant in that there's nobody who's really like him who's been a huge star in, in, in quite some time. And it, you know, he's going to move on. He's got another feud lined up. Uh, it sure looks like it's going to be the big show uh, with what they're presenting on SmackDown. 
And whoever it is, like this guy just shouldn't lose for like a year. He needs to be uh, kind of he needs to be Goldberg, but he's a much better wrestler. His presentation is way better. And despite all of the criticisms we dish out to Vince and his team creative uh, creatively, and most of them are quite valid, in my opinion, you know, they're obviously better at booking guys like this than WCW was at booking Goldberg and Kevin Nash is nowhere to be found, hopefully. So, um, he, he just should keep beating guys that have big names. And, uh, they seem to be doing that by lining up him up against the big show. Who's still a, a credible name and a big son of a bitch who it's going to look really cool. And Brock, you know, F fives him and sends, sends him to the ring I'm getting ahead of our, uh, of myself here, but, I don't think I can give this particular match any more kudos than you've given it. This is not the best Hell in a Cell match they've ever done. That's going to be hard to top, but certainly top three, top maybe top two even. Like this this match isn't The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels, but it's certainly better than many of the Hell in a Cell matches that they've trotted out since then. This was really good stuff. Um, okay, uh, your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. So I absolutely adored the tag match, the cruiserweight match and the Hell in a Cell where SmackDown seems to reign supreme. I can do without seeing Dawn Marie and Tori Wilson in a match. I can do with seeing them, but just not wrestling. Um, I can do without plodding Triple H matches as I said at the beginning, this is when it is good, it is amazing. And when it is bad, it is dull. Um, but I have to remember, this is a B level pay-per-view. This isn't one of the big boys. Um, so for me, it's a seven. Cause you can fast forward the, the bits where it's boring and just rewatch the absolute amazingness of the tag match, the cruiserweight match, and the Hell in a Cell. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, the question really becomes, you know, I agree with you. The tag match, stellar. Hell in a Cell match, stellar. Uh, the cruiserweight match was very entertaining. Um, and I even thought the opening tag, uh, especially for how they were able to recover from the big the rope break, um, and I think, you know, the people in that match maybe being better slotted in those spots uh, than some of them have been previously, I enjoyed it. The The good thing about some of the matches on this card that weren't so good was that they were mercifully short. A lot of eight-minute matches and a lot of five-minute matches on this card, and then, you know, two or three matches, you know, at or over 20 minutes. And the 20-minute matches, even the Triple H and Kane one, which we've seen before, and this standard Triple H fodder at this point wasn't, wasn't bad. It's just standard Triple H fodder. And Kane's not a very diversified, diverse worker, uh, diversified worker, maybe the better way to put it. And so his matches are always going to be the same. So they did the best they could in those circumstances as well. I think I'm kind of with you. I don't want to, you know, be ticky tacky here, but I think I'm willing to say that this show is, I don't want to say it's an eight because I think an eight implies really no massive flaws on the card. Can't say that here, but I do think I'm going to give it a 7.5. So you and I aren't too far off. And that is No Mercy 2002, brought to you by the World Wrestling Entertainment. Nonetheless, you got to 
give it up for The Undertaker. What a true pro to be able to come out here tonight. Oh, man, nobody like the dead man, Big Evil. He's the man who messes things, The Undertaker. The world thinks The Undertaker. He's been running things in his yard at WWE for 12 years, doing things his way. And his way was to come out here tonight and to give props to Brock Lesnar for putting him through hell Sunday inside Hell in a Cell. Undertaker shocking everyone, especially Brock Lesnar, by giving props to Brock from the cell. And look at the respect for these fans here on SmackDown. Wait oh, a minute! The Big Show! The Big Show! Ambushing the Undertaker from behind! What the hell is this all about? Oh my god! Oh my god! He's gonna... What the hell is he Is, is, is the Undertaker okay? Is he okay? Don't move it! No remorse, no respect. Really great on an injured Undertaker. Man, a serious situation. Well, you, you feel your legs. You feel everything. Can you hear me? So we come out of no mercy. And we have two paths to take, one to Raw and one to SmackDown. And I think in light of our uh, prior conversation with Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker, and now The Big Show, we'll start with SmackDown. And where does that take us? To October 24th on SmackDown. And what we see, and we'll play a little bit of, uh, we'll play some audio for you here of this. Uh, but Big Show is SmackDown's newest uh, pickup. And he challenges Brock Lesnar for the WWE title at Survivor Series in November. Um, shortly after, The Undertaker is in the ring and uh, he gives his I'm going away for a while speech. And he basically cuts a promo and puts over Brock Lesnar for being a super big badass and how much The Undertaker respects him. The uh, big show uh, comes out and... Uh, it's a little bit tepid, and initially, they, you know, it seems like the two guys are going to maintain their distance. Uh, but then that tricky big show uh, throws the Undertaker off the stage, and that's the Undertaker's write-off uh, to go home and have a baby with Sarah or with Tracy. I don't care. <laughs> so, Lacey, just really quickly here, and. Uh, Chris White, you might want to hammer that fast forward button here for a minute or two. Um, main event big show. Uh, for me, this is pretty clearly just a main event get over spot for Brock and maybe an attempt to give the big show a little bit of juice uh, in the meantime. Uh, but um, just any and all of this, the Undertaker going away, being thrown off the stage by Big Show, Brock versus Big Show, just any direction you want to take it to, you know, whet our appetites for November. Yeah, so um, I will first go with Taker and his, you know, putovers of Brock. Again, we said it during the Hell in a Cell match review, um, how much he let him eat all his shit and get up. 
Um, so if you needed it to be confirmed, here it was. He calls Matt and says how great he is. Um, Bro- Big Show, um, I was waiting for when he came down for some talk about some snakeskin boots in the desert mm. and a motorbike, but I didn't get it. I was, you know, disappointed. Um, seeing Show be big, evil pe- Big Show and lobbing someone off a stage is impressive and it gives him that rocket up his ass that he's not had for the past what two years or so to be a threat again um he's taken out undertaker um so when brock then does fuck him up at survivor series because there's the visual you know Heyman was already sowing the seeds in there of you can't suplex him. You can't F5 him. You can't outpower right. him. Right. That when Brock then fucking does it, you go, yay, Brockmore. Um, my only problem with this is going into it is obviously Big Show is a heel. Is this going to be a face turn for Brock? Because... I'm not sure I want a face Brock with Heyman there. Because Heyman doesn't... You, you can't have Heyman and be a face. That That's never going to work. That's my only problem with it. And my worry is, are they going to turn him face? And then if they turn him face, he has to lose Heyman. And I'm not sure Brock on the mic is there yet this isn't an angle where you know angle amazingly picked it all up really bloody quickly and got the in-ring and the entertainment part brock still is very uncomfortable talking oh yeah he's an all-time he's an all-time voice doesn't match the body guy too yeah so i really really don't want them to turn him face but I get that the crowd like him, but you can like your heel. Look at Flair in the 80s. You're right, right, People right. still, you know, they Vader. wouldn't see their baby face beat him. But deep inside, they're like, yeah, he's good. That's what Brock should still be and be for at least another year. It is way too early for the term, but I've been watching wrestling for long enough to see the seeds being sown and I don't like it. It's so it's an odd situation because I, I don't think there's any way that Brock is ready to be a face yet. I, I do think that there's a world where he's just a guy who takes out whatever challenger is in front of him. And I think they may just have like a a a roster problem. I I don't know who else on the SmackDown side of things at this point, you would even put against Brock and have it be credible. I guess Angle's the Angle Benoit. Angle would, yeah, Angle and Benoit I think are the two. But maybe you don't want to waste those on a on a month long build. You know where we're going to talk about Raw, but it seems like Raw's you know this elimination chamber match uh, is going to be a big deal. And I think maybe the idea here is just you know Brock has to have a match. He's got to look good. We can deal with the awkward dynamic of having a heel versus a heel for a month. 
and you know Brock beats Big Show in eight minutes, and then moves into a feud with maybe Benoit for the Rumble, or Angle yeah. for the Rumble and, and Benoit for Mania. You know what I mean? Like they just yeah, they may just need something here to fill out the SmackDown side because Raw is definitely going to be featured at Survivor Series. I guess it is a thing that um, comic books and kids' cartoons and even TV shows do. The monster of the week. Big Show can right. just be the monster of the month for for the pay per view, I guess, and it still doesn't change the main character. It's just a different monster that he's fighting that week. Um. So yeah, I, I suppose if they do a very basic build to this, then yeah, you you could just have Big Show as, as I said as the monster of the week and carry on and then have something come out of the survivor series that means that he gets someone um maybe a maybe an angle or something and then the other guy wins the rumble and gets him at mania and you know we get both decent dream matches in the two in the run-up to to the beginning part of the year yeah I think that's the way to do it, unless there's going to be new blood on SmackDown. I think those, those, I mean, maybe Eddie, but you know, I don't know that, I don't know that Brock versus Eddie is particularly credible. So, and you know, honestly, like Brock versus Benoit may not look that great either. I just think Benoit can is so tough that he can make it work, even though it's going to be outweighed by 60 pounds or whatever it is. But anyway, interesting stuff on SmackDown. Um, big main event, Big Show. Um, maybe for just a month. We'll hop over to Raw. Two things on Raw that we need to talk about. The world title situation and that other thing. How about the world title first? Yeah, let's do the so, present first. So we come out of uh, No Mercy the next night, uh, October 21 episode of Raw. Uh, in the main event there, uh, it's uh, Kane and Rob Van Dam uh, over Triple H and Ric Flair. Um and Kane and Triple H continue to uh, be at odds for reasons we'll talk about later. Uh, the next week, uh, which is the 28th by my uh, by my notes here, uh, Bischoff uh, announces uh, what is being called the Elimination Chamber. It's going to take place at Survivor Series, and it's going to be for Triple H's uh, world title. The announced participants are... Kane, Shawn Michaels, Chris Jericho, back to the main event, Booker T, and RVD. And then uh, Kane uh, extracts some sort of revenge by defeating Triple H in a casket match with the assistance of Shawn Michaels later in the night. So I always like to set the scene for next month, and it looks like we're going to have a a new gimmick cage match. Uh, Sounds something halfway between... Uh, war games and halfway between American Gladiators, I think. I'm not sure. But what do you think, man? Are you excited for this? We got another gimmick cage, but you know, not not the worst roster we've ever seen for it. And you know, new matches are always fun, right? Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued by this because obviously he when Bischoff announced it, he was like, it's a, it's like war games, it's like the bunkhouse stampede and. It's like Hell in a Cell all rolled into one. And I'm like, this could be interesting. We know that there's six guys in it. We don't have any other information on how the fuck it's going to work or how what 
what it is, but we know there's going to be one winner, so it's obviously individually done, and it's for the title. Um, I, I am intrigued by what this could be, this structure. Um, and as you say, it's a new gimmick. Uh, you know, it may be a one and done. Um, you know, Halloween, the, the electrified cage from WCW. Or, you know, we may have a new staple that is a set piece that can be used every so often. I'm not so sure that I'd want it straight after using a Hell in a Cell, though, because um, that can be a little bit overkill to have big set piece match cage, you know, two months in a row. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it's that sort of thing you should build up to these sort of things and they should have a reason um this just seems to be bischoff just throwing shit at the wall and going look i've got something new and shiny let's try this um but yeah i'm intrigued to see what happens and you know my boy's in it so of course i'm going to be watching it is it is it just my nihilistic view of particularly raw but I guess the WWE in general these days where I look at this lineup and I think it's going to be some godly long 42 minute match and it's just going to be Triple H retaining. Oh, it does stink of it being an hour long and when all is said and done, Hunter wins. I just, I don't see a path forward barring, I mean, I don't even see a hot shot scenario here. Uh, well, I guess they, I, so I guess that the tease is Shawn Michaels is now here to avenge his, uh, beat down that he received after SummerSlam against Triple H. But I mean, that's, that's probably, that could lead to Triple H losing the belt, I guess, but I don't, I don't know that Michaels is anybody who's you know needs to be in the world title picture at this point as a soup what appears to be a super part-timer but i don't know my point is like i don't see anybody here barring some sort of surprise that is going to be a viable world champion and so that's my concern but i think the match could be good i don't know we'll see usually usually the wwe does these things well the first time and then it's the second third and fourth times where they tend to get a little overdone we'll see it'll be exciting not exciting. Katie Vick. So we ran the, we will have run the, the pre-match hype package uh, that they ran at No Mercy. Uh, but I think we can just put a little timeline together here uh, leading up to what is ultimately the culminating two weeks of this unfortunate storyline. So on the October 7th Raw, uh, effectively, Kane is a force to defend his tag titles. Out of nowhere, kind of, Triple H comes in and accuses Kane of being a murderer. Uh, we've, I, we've joked about earlier that we kind of already knew this, uh, but uh, apparently we learned that uh, Kane had murdered somebody 10 years before now. Um, we learned that her name was uh, Katie Vick, and uh, Kane naturally denies being a murderer. He says it was an accident. 
Uh, and this is on the next uh, Monday where Kane is out to defend himself. And he says, uh, 10 years ago when he was 16, which means Kane is 26. So take that for what it's worth. Um, he and his friend Katie were watching uh, wrestling or back when Kane first started watching wrestling, she came to his match uh, and they were friendly, I guess. Uh, they went to a party. Uh, they both had too much to drink, or at least Katie had too much to drink, so Kane drove her home. Kane uh, says uh, that he didn't know how to drive a stick shift, and so uh, they drove Katie's car, and uh, bada-bing, bada-boom, they slam into a tree, and Katie Vick is killed instantly. Uh, naturally, <laughs> Triple H accuses Kane of getting drunk, killing Katie Vick, and then raping her corpse, as you do. Um, and that basically led up to their match at No Mercy, where despite all of that, Triple H wins. Um, and then we get to the October 21st Raw, and we had to watch it, and you may have, but if you didn't, take a listen. Hello. Is anyone here? Hello. It's me, Kane. Is anyone here? Hello, Katie. You look so good. Katie, you might look better dead than you did alive. You know, Katie, it didn't have to be like this. You didn't have to die. If you'd have just given me what I wanted, if you'd have just let me touch you, Katie, in that car, if you'd have just let me touch you, beautiful breasts, then I wouldn't have swerved and gone off the road, and you would still be alive. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Don't. No. No. You would too. You would still be alive, and it's your fault. That's right. That's right. It is your fault, and you know it. Because I loved you, Katie. And you, you didn't love me when you were alive. Because I was some burnt-up freak. What's that? Really? Now that you're, you dead, you want me? I want you too, Katie. I've always wanted you, Katie. Look at you. I want you more than ever now in your cheerleader uniform. I used to watch you bounce up and down. Little panties would show, you know, if you want me and I want you, then there's no reason that we shouldn't be together. Oh, yeah. You like that, huh? Shh. Don't be too loud. Too. 
good. You know, Katie, you, you feel kind of stiff. Speaking of stiff, maybe, maybe I should do what I've always wanted to do. You want me to? Yeah. Katie, I thought you would, I thought you'd never ask, but I understand now you, you can't resist me. Maybe you should take off some clothes too, Katie. Maybe, maybe I should. This will help. I bet it feels good to have them free, does it? Oh, yes, it certainly does. And, you know, Katie, these pennies that I always saw in your skirt, you won't be getting these. smell of formaldehyde in the morning. Katie, I'm going to give you what you want. And I'm going to take what I always wanted. you want it. Tell me. Yes. Oh. Oh. Oh, Katie. Oh. Who's your daddy, Katie? That's it. Who's your daddy? Oh. I hope that was as good for you. As it was for me. What's that? I did? You're kidding me. I really did? I did? Oh my god. I did. I really did it. I really did. I screwed your brains out. everybody go take your silkwood shower and come back uh and we'll just wrap it up by saying the next week this basically wrapped up by the hurricane showing a video on the titantron of triple h receiving an enema and having uh a sledgehammer 
pulled out of his ass. Uh, that's real. Lacey, I, I, I don't even know, man. Oh, oh, you've missed the bit when he then, on the last episode of Raw, when he says that we're going to hear from Katie and hear her side of it, and he pulls out the mannequin and... Oh, I missed that part in my notes. You're absolutely right. Yep. Uh, why don't you just, you know what? Why don't you just describe that? Uh, because I, I think out of a trauma reaction, I overlooked reading that in my notes. So, yeah. So, uh, there's a casket at the ring. Obviously, there's a casket match later because it's the night that Kane and Trips have their casket match. But this has Katie Vick in, or what we know as Katie Vick. Um, he then takes her out of the casket, puts her in the ring. The hand drops down. He makes an innuendo that he's trying to grab her junk and she needs to close her legs. And mm-hmm. it then puts this doll. I'm, I, I'm not going to, it's not a corpse. It's a fucking doll. He puts the doll on the, on his knee, does a really bad ventriloquist of her talking and saying that even Triple H is hot. And then that's when we then see the Dr. Heine shit. And then he then batters the the doll with a chair. Um, you know, in Dallas, where JR wakes up and it's all a dream. Yeah. None of it happened. I'm waiting for that moment. Yeah. <laughs> Because this, this is some of the worst shit that I've seen on any TV. Um, and I've seen some shit. Um, you know, I'm, I, I do partake in some late night TV when I'm taking on some uh, herbal substances. And we'll sit there and just mong out watching absolute crap. And also a fan of really shit, cheap horror films. Mm-hmm. But this is just fucked up. And I don't know who the audience is. And I have a, an idea that it is for an audience of one. Because that one person in his weird fucked up deluded mind thinks that this is funny but the fact this goes on for four weeks yeah and someone didn't say to them after week one are you sure you want to do this are we really doing this i understand that backstage Vinnie Mac is the head honcho and makes the final decisions. And, you know, again, we're going to break a wall here. And, you know, because we are and read the things that we do for the show, we know that there are writers there. We know that Bruce Pritchard, um, Stephanie, Heyman, um, Michael Hayes all have roles backstage in the creative process of this show none of them 
just went, are you sure? But but are you really sure? But but really? Um, and then we what's, get past what's the, the pay per view, and the Triple H in Kane's mask in a real fucking funeral home pretend fucking a doll and at the end part saying I've just screwed your brains out and lobs what is meant to be brain matter at the camera and then laughing about it when they go back to him and the coach talking I I know we shit on trips for you know again back sort of a couple years ago when it was the year of well trips and trips wins and trips wins and trips wins you'd think that he himself would go but are you sure well, maybe maybe we're crossing a line here. Maybe this isn't good. But he he does it and he does it with a smile on his face and makes the silly innuendo jokes as well. And I'm like, are are we really in a situation where someone has that mindset to? I get, you know, you do shit because you have to, because it's, you know, work. But you can tone it down to the point where you don't look so joyful about it or, you know, make it worse with your offhand remarks or ad-libs. And I, I I just don't know why they would do this, especially... A couple of weeks or a couple of months ago, they were getting so much praise from the gay charity out in the States. I can't remember what they're actually called. You'll probably know. But they, for for the Billy and Chuck stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being positive and, you know, shedding a light on LGBT stuff and, you know, showing a positive reflection of gay rights and gay people in TV and in sports and then they spit in the face of them with the three minute warning Eric Bischoff reveal at the end of that and now we have fucking necrophilia <laughs> you know when you put it that way no uh it's it's worse i think when you factor in two things that were heavily reported this month in the news which which we overlooked because it's you know the same type of thing every month one is the amount of influence that triple h and the undertaker but particularly triple h uh for the purpose of this story have backstage in that there aren't many people in the fed who can say no and you know maybe occasionally do say no but one of them is triple h and he therefore could have 
said no here if he disagreed with this or would have been one at least one of the few people backstage with enough clout to make this different if McMahon was set on it. So that's one problem with this is it, it was Vince, but it wasn't just Vince here. The second thing is it's pretty clear to me and I that this was done because of the problem with that they're having with ratings and with everything else. And this was done to generate news and to generate buzz and, you know, to, to get people talking. And unfortunately to, to McMahon, sometimes that means any publicity is good publicity. And so it's not so good that, uh, or it's not like, Oh, Steve Austin's super hot or the rock is, you know, on fire or, you know, Hogan slammed Andre, it's ratings are down, so let's fuck a corpse because people will talk about it. And that's super gross, man. It just is. Yeah, as, as I said earlier, um, this was the one where I was watching it and the other half came home from work at the worst time and came in just as the funeral home video started. And her literal words were, you were, said you were watching wrestling. What the fuck is this shit? Yeah. Yes. It's hard Turn enough it to be a wrestling fan, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, my, my other half, bless her, she doesn't like it, but she'll put up with the matches and I sort of, you know, the hard hitting matches and things like that. So, you know, if I could show her the Brock Taker match or the tag match from the from the pay-per-view and she'll she'll see it for the athletic contest that it is. But she came in when the when I was watching this and it very quickly went off and thankfully the the joy of uh, DVR it's still I can watch it back or I could watch it back later on once she'd gone gone to bed. But yeah, you as a wrestling fan and you know we are of an age where we have partners and other things like that. They come in and they see this shit and they really do start to question what the fuck is it that you're watching? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I just, uh, this is indefensible. Uh, it's just, uh, this will be a notorious thing that at the worst people forget about. I I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I just don't know what they're thinking with this shit. And, it's on Triple H's record. It's on Kane's record, and it's on McMahon's record. And I just don't know what they got caught up in in thinking that anything like this was a good idea. I don't know who this is for. Oh, it's for Vince. But you know, the goal is to get ratings. The goal is to generate revenue. The goal is to, you know, ingratiate yourself with your fans so that they spend more money and watch more shows and come back and generate brand loyalty. And this ain't it. And if it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to keep a straight face about about this as much as we try to if sex and necrophilia and stuff like this is gonna be the the focal point. It's just it ain't it, <clears throat> It's looking pretty bleak, man. Yeah, so this show, um, or this month, has given me my my number two as it stands because I, I will rewatch everything before we do the end of the years because that's how I always do it. But 
my my cigarette paper between one and two match of the year and my number one Russo nomination for the year. I I don't I don't know how this gets beaten. Let's not let's not challenge them. The, you know what I mean? Like, let's not take it upon ourselves to give them any idea that they can top this for the Russo. You know, I think this the, the brand split uh, is uh, is going on, and uh, we've kind of settled into it. And the players have, you know, people move back and forth. We just saw the big show show up on SmackDown. But you know, looking at this kind of broader, we've talked about Raw, and they've got this cringy gimmick in their main event scene and they're bringing in another gimmick cage for their thing. And then over on SmackDown, you know, Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, Undertaker are just killing it. And I got the big show in the mix, but they're heating him up. And I'm just, you know, when you watch Raw and you watch SmackDown to me, and I know you feel the same way to some degree, it's, it's, it's almost two different sports. Yeah. um, Raw is very much, that's entertainment, pal, um, in the Vince way. And SmackDown is a wrestling show with wrestling matches um, and athletes. And I I do think that from now on, because, um, you know, don't have all the time in the world to watch, you know, four hours of wrestling every week. That priority viewing is always going to now be SmackDown, and I might watch Raw. Whereas Raw is the flagship show and the main brand and the main big thing of this company, but they treat it like a fucking joke. Well, I think they treat it like the show Vince wants, and then on SmackDown. Uh, you know, maybe maybe the way to look at it is that. Raw's the show Vince wants, and SmackDown's the show everybody else wants. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I'm with everyone else. <laughs> right, right. Yes, mercifully. Um, it's not a bad way to structure this brain split, though. If I mean, if it's if it's purposeful, put your Benoit's and your Angles and your Rays and your Lesners, all the wrestlers on one show and put all your gimmicks and your sports entertainers, Kane, Triple H, uh, Ric Flair on the other show. And there's, there's no, it's better if they're different. I don't want equally balanced sports, entertainment, wrestling, et cetera, on both shows. It's, I think it's better if the shows are different. And, and the fact that you and I are, are, are already noticing these clear distinctions relatively early into this brand split, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. There are people that like the WWE gimmicky shit, maybe not Katie Vick stuff, but, you know, there are people who want the pomp and circumstance and the pyro and ballyhoo. And if they can get that on Raw and they don't have to sit through a 22-minute, you know, three-segment Kurt Angle Chris Benoit match it maybe isn't as appealing to them, then that's great. Yeah, if I can have RVD on SmackDown as soon as possible, that would be wonderful. We're going to go ahead and park the time machine here and get out and uh, go have a couple more more beers from our friend, and we'll get back to that in a second. Uh, two things, though. One, uh, 
check out the October 31, uh, 2002 SmackDown. There's no reason for it to make the cut because uh, it's not relevant at the time, but a certain Mr. Cena begins his uh, ascent. And uh, so just as a historical footnote, uh, check out the Halloween party on uh, the October 31, 2002 SmackDown. Now, the second thing is uh, our friends, uh, including here Mr. Uh, Lacey and the aforementioned uh, Mr. White, uh, will be doing uh, a bonus show this month uh, covering the UK-only show for Rebellion, uh, which occurs on the 26th of October 2002. So, uh, Lacey, let me throw you over, uh, throw it over to you so you can plug your Rebellion show, uh, you can plug our, our beer friend, and uh, anything else you want to throw out before we uh, call it a day. Yes, so um, me and Mr. White will be doing Rebellion, um, the first SmackDown-only pay-per-view, um, and came live from Manchester. Um, so that will be with you soon. Um, the record, as of time of recording this one, um, isn't definite because uh, Mr. White is under the weather. Um, so get well soon, Mr. White, and then we can get that in your ears as soon as it is recorded. Um, for he me, saw Big Show. He saw he was going to have to review a show with Big Show prominently featured, and he, and he caught a mystery bug. So no point. <laughs> uh, for me, if you want to hear and see my pretty face on the YouTubes, you can. Um, you go to Pop Culture, Production, uh, Pop Culture Productions, even. Um, and we do music video reacts, we have comic book shows, uh, a horror show about uh, the first episode being about the original Wicker Man, um, all that on YouTube, get on there, especially if you like Ramstein, there's lots of Ramstein coverage on there, and as always, if you like beer, and who doesn't like beer, you can get yourself 10% off a beer order using the code wrestling 20 at 10 beerbottles.co.uk that's 10 is in the number beerbottles.co.uk um, search for on Facebook as well get all the links on there terms and conditions will be in the description of the show and um, there are certain things that you can't use your voucher on but get your beers in for Christmas and uh, help independent shops because small businesses are the way forward and then back to you, Eric. Thank you. Uh, get your beer. Uh, check out Lacey's uh, other shows. Um, proud to say I'm a subscriber to a YouTube show. Very entertaining. Uh, a nice little upstart uh, product there, my friend. And, and I wish you all the best uh, in that. Uh, quite good so far. Um, find us on Twitter, at Wrestling20YRS. Uh, we are also on uh, Facebook. And uh, until next time, uh, I am Eric Landstrom. For Chris Lacey. And for Katie Vick. Goodbye. <laughs>